Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes, and we appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Tonight I'd like to ask you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. This past uh, week, uh, news came out of a couple of things that have happened on the in a few of the states. Uh, first, in the state of New York, uh, the governor there signaled to the uh, state legislature that he wanted to. Uh, enact or to sign some laws that would uh in his words ensure that uh the the right of a woman to have an abortion in the state of new york no matter what happens on the federal level uh, many in uh a certain persuasion feel as though um with the makeup of the supreme court that uh, there may, may be a move to um, abolish uh, the decision of the Supreme Court from 1976 uh, to uh, known as Roe v. Wade uh, and uh, to take away a law that has never really been in the Constitution of the United States, uh, giving uh, the so-called right for a woman to choose to uh, uh, kill the unborn life within her body. Um, uh, as a result, the, uh, the state of New York passed a law that would allow a woman to have an abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. I don't know if any of you heard of this in the news this past week. Uh, Rhode Island and Vermont uh, followed quickly with laws very similar to the, the, that law that was in, enacted in uh, New York. And then uh, the state of Virginia that has very often been considered a southern state and uh, very often been considered a state that was uh, uh, more... Uh, leaning with the traditional values of the South, uh, uh, its governor uh, went on the, uh, well, a, a state representative came and presented a bill that would do uh, the very same thing uh, to uh, to enact a law that would allow a woman to choose to have an abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. And uh, actually, the state of Virginia's was was more far-reaching than the state of New York's. And uh, uh, see, before Roe v. Wade, in the state of New York, uh, it was considered uh, laws were passed in the state of New York that allowed a woman to have an abortion when it was not legal throughout the rest of the nation. And uh, but this was before Roe v. Wade changed all of that. And uh, uh, while New York was more uh, leftward leaning in uh, that uh, regard, uh, the nation has not only gone 
up to but surpassed the state of New York's uh, stand on abortion. And now they're trying and seeking to establish themselves further uh, down the road in terms of abortion uh, in the thought that uh, Roe v. Wade would be overturned in the state of Virginia. That's where a legislature uh, uh, presented a uh, bill that would allow a woman the right to have a, an abortion up to her 40th week. And then the governor of the state of Virginia was on a radio program uh, seeking to explain uh, the... Uh, the bill from a uh, from a fellow member of his party, and uh, said uh, that uh, in essence he said that it would be uh, that a woman. He said, "I'll tell you." Well, he he actually uh, lied because he had the bill in front of him. He was reading from information that was uh, uh, that was prepared for him about the bill. Uh, he made out as if this bill would only uh, be in relation to uh, a situation where a child was uh, being born that was not viable, which means the child was going to die within its mother's womb. And he said that what would happen is, is that the, the baby would be born and then the uh, doctor and the mother uh, would decide whether or not they would revive the baby and then leave the baby there and go and decide uh, what, whether or not uh, uh, they would conti uh, continue to allow the baby to live. In essence, the governor of Virginia and what has gotten him in such a uh, hot place is the fact that he basically outlined uh, infanticide uh, and passing a law that would allow for the killing of a baby after the baby is born. Um, uh, the bill that was presented in the Virginia legislature uh, uh, didn't say anything about whether or not the child was viable or not, just simply uh, said that this, uh, whatever the state of the mother was, if the mother just couldn't handle uh, being a, a parent uh, all the way up until the moment that she delivers, she could choose to abort the baby. Our nation seems to be running towards uh, a place where uh, it's not been seen in any other place in the world. Uh, some of the most uh, socialist places in the world only allow abortions up to the 12th week of pregnancy. That's nothing compared to the 20th week that's now what is uh, the guideline uh, for uh, through the second trimester. And uh, several years ago, our nation passed laws against abortions into the third trimester. Um, and that is what these state legislatures in New York and Vermont and Rhode Island and now Virginia are trying to breach into is to go into that third trimester. And basically, uh, these individuals are uh, worshiping at the altar of, uh, of uh, uh, sexual liberty. They are trying to make it as if uh, a woman, uh, what prompted the state of New York years ago was a sense of women's liberation 
to pass laws that would allow for an abortion before Roe v. Wade, the whole concept and the whole idea was is that a woman needed to have the same freedoms a man did to not have the fear of becoming pregnant and losing opportunities that a man didn't have to worry about. Our nation stepped away from that uh, mentality with many of the laws that we've passed since then. Uh, but this seems to be where many of those uh, states are trying to push our nation to a point where uh, we have uh, such comments that have been made as in this past week. Um, our, the, we're not the only nation that's been struggling with this. Uh, uh, throughout the world, we have uh, areas and places in which they are um, going further than they've ever gone in terms of the termination of life at both the beginning and at the end. Uh, uh, those of you who are more seasoned than others, uh, there's been uh, talk in, in some places throughout the world of uh, simply just allowing uh, uh, people not to uh, have some of the things that they need in life because life seems not uh, the quality of life that they had when they were younger. Um, devaluing life at the end of life and devaluing life at the beginning of life um, all uh, seem to be uh, something that uh, to us as Christians we need to discuss in terms of uh, the sanctity of human life. Uh, we as Christians understand that we are the bearers of the image of God. That we uh, are were created in the image of God. And as such, uh, life means so much more than just simply uh, what uh, so many are trying to uh, portray life in these late days. Uh, so many uh, would say, well, the quality of life, uh, the value of life uh, diminishing, these are all things that uh, have pushed societies into devaluing uh, the lives of people, not just at the uh, ends of the spectrum, but uh, devaluing all of life for some, uh, whether it might be uh, because of a skin color or because of religious proclivity or uh, for some other social or uh, economic uh, reason. And we have to be worried when our we see uh, not just places throughout the world because that oftentimes seems, well, that's far removed. That, that's way over there in Europe or that's way over there in the Middle East or that's way over there on the other side of the world. We're talking about things that are happening right here in the United States, right here where we live, right here in the midst of our nation. And when... One state begins to make these kind of changes uh, typically, and as we're seeing, there's a domino effect. There are, na uh, there are states that will uh, get on board with the same uh, type of uh, laws when one state passes it because they say, well, if, if nothing happened when they passed it, then we they feel emboldened to pass those same laws in their own state. 
And so we need, as Christians need to speak up and speak out. We, you know, uh, there have been millions of babies that have been killed at the altar of convenience through abortion since 1976. Right now, uh, I thought I, I think I saw in a an article that the leading cause of death in the nation is not from cancer, not from alcohol, uh, alcohol related accidents, not from heart attacks, but abortion. It's the leading cause of death in the United States. And it's gotten to the point where uh, we're uh, um, those who are proponents of death are trying to, uh, to turn it into an issue of uh, women's health rather than uh, the health and welfare of the baby that is being terminated. They're trying to turn it in terms of uh, the health and welfare of the woman. These are perilous times that we live in, and, and all of this is a result of the fact that we as a church, those of us who are Christians, never stood up and said, no, this is wrong. From 1976 and forward, we have the church has silently stood aside and said, we're going to allow those people to do those things over there and we're not going to be anything to do with it as if that was going to stop it. But it's not. It's not enough. We have, in essence, allowed a, a genocide to happen within our nation. Do you realize that more babies have been aborted than all of those who were killed during the Holocaust? All of those who were killed... In reality, more have been killed through abortion than have been killed in all of the wars this nation's gone through from the Revolutionary War to present day. There have been more babies, more lives ended through abortion than killed in all of those wars that we've participated in. And yet we stand aside and we don't say a thing. We don't. We tend to avert our eyes and not think about it. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to think about it. And the reality is, is it's an ugly truth that we can't avoid any longer. We can't just simply stop and and say, you know, well, I, I'm not going to talk about that. I'm not going to think about it. I'm not. I'm just going to go through my life as if it didn't happen. That's when we as a church start, stop being a salt and light that God called us to be. Jesus Christ said, you are uh, a salt, uh, the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You need to, we need to shine and we need to savor this world. And, and, and when we just simply stand by and say nothing, we are not being a light. We are not being a salt that savors and, and preserves this world. We are simply allowing the world to go its own way. And we're just, we've got a lifeboat mentality. You know what a lifeboat mentality is? Well, I'm in the boat. That's all that matters. I'm not going to worry about the other people that are out there drowning. 
I'm in the boat, and that's what matters. And so many people in the church today have a lifeboat mentality. I'm in the boat. I've got my ticket punched to glory. I'm not worried about myself any longer. I know where I'm going, and I'm not going to participate in the rest of the world. We can't act as if we don't live in this world. We live here in this world for a reason. And that's to shine the light of Jesus Christ. That is to tell others about what Christ has done for us. It is to stand and to declare the word of the Lord. And we can't simply be quiet any longer. We must profess the message of what God has for us to share. 1 Peter chapter 9 gives us six truths that we need to understand. And we need to, uh, to have those things uh, in our lives and, we, and help us to understand how we need to go forward. It says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praises of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for the cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. What this is, is in Peter, he's giving instructions to the church. And he's giving instructions to uh, various groups of people. And he's come now to those who are uh, masters of slaves. And he's telling uh, them how they should live and reminding the people of Israel and how they should live. And uh, Peter is uh, trying to express to uh, those who read this passage of Scripture the way in which we need to live in a fallen world. He says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. What we first need to understand is, is that uh, we are God's people, but we were once living in darkness. We were once people who did not live in the light. We have to first remember where we came from. We have to realize that we live in a dark world and, and we were once a part of it. There are so many Christians that uh, come to church anymore uh, that 
And they've been a part of church for so long that you would think that they were born in the church and born a member of the church. Now, I have to admit that when I was a baby, before I was born in my, and I was in my mother's uh, belly, I was on the church roll. And I know that many of you were probably a part of the cradle roll. It was called the cradle roll. Did y'all have that down here in churches? No. The cradle roll was a, a list of babies that were about to be born or just born. And it was a way in which you reached out to people who were new, new, uh, new mothers. And you made sure that those babies were on the roll so that you could minister to the families of those who were having uh, those babies. And you did that in order to build your church. And it's, uh, I was a part of that cradle roll. My parents uh, were young parents in Charlotte. And, and my mom and dad, of course, my mom and dad were a part of the church that, that I grew up in before me because uh, of my brother who's four years older. And the way the cradle roll works is that my brother was part of that too. And my mama was sitting in the, uh, in the hospital having my brother. Now my, my daddy was working in a job where he had to go to Chicago for something and he had come back or was on his way back and my mom wound up at the hospital uh, in the hospital before my dad could get back. But that was before men were even allowed in the hospital uh, anyway when babies were born. Uh, my, my daddy uh, took up post in a coffee shop just down the road from uh, the hospital. And that, that's really what men were expected to do, sit in a coffee shop and wait to find out what was going on and then go after the baby was born. And But my mom says that while she was in the hospital, she recalls the nurse saying, your pastor's here. And this was before they had settled on a home church. And so my mom's thinking, my pastor from Gastonia, which was about uh, 45 minutes to an hour away, or uh, uh, my dad's pastor from Lenore that was about three hours away, she couldn't imagine either one of them coming. Uh, she just didn't think that that would be who was out there. And in walks the man that was the pastor of the church where they had visited once. Once! And he shows up when she's having a baby in the hospital because my brother had been... Pl they had placed my brother on the, uh, the cradle roll and because of that, he went and visited and guess what? They wound up going to church there great method of building a church, uh, particularly if you're living in a place where people are being, you know, people are still being born around here, aren't they? I mean, people are still having babies. I think it'd work anywhere just that people are having babies. But anyway, uh, the pastor came in and she was so surprised to see him because she didn't expect him to be there. But we live in a society in a world that, that doesn't celebrate life the way uh, it used to celebrate life. And we need to understand that we live in a world that's a place of darkness. We live in a world where uh, people are not born into the church. Now, just because we were on the crater roll doesn't mean that we were members of the church. But you've got people that, are, that have been a part of church for so long, they, they've gotten to the point where, well, I, you ask them, well, how long have you been a, a member of the church? Well, I've always been a member. How long have you been a Christian? Well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. 
You, you weren't born a Christian. You, weren't, uh, you might have been born a member of a church, but you weren't born a Christian because to be a Christian is to make a conscious decision. You don't simply... Uh, it's not a decision that's made for you. You make it for yourself when you have the ability to make that decision on your own. We can't uh, pretend that we've always been a part of the church. We are people who come out of darkness. And that should remind us that there are still people living in darkness. That there's people all around us that are still in the darkness of sin. That have no idea of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Who have no idea of the love of Christ. Who have no idea what Christ can do for them. Peter says, uh, but we are a chosen and a royal priesthood. Not only are we born in darkness, but we need to realize that we are chosen of God. Now, in 1 Peter, it's directly speaking a bit about the children of Israel, but we understand and we know that, and, and Jesus Christ talks about the fact that we are predestined to know Christ. Predestined to know the love of Christ. What does that mean? Now, some would say that means, well, that means that God knows, uh, God's omniscient. He knows everything. God knows all those who are going to become Christian before He's ever, before they've ever been born. And, And some would say, well, that means that we can't do anything to change that. There's people out there that's going to become a Christian, uh, regardless of what we do. So that, that's just an excuse though, in my opinion, to do, sit back and do nothing. That's laziness. That's not what predestined means. What predestination means is, and here's the skinny on it. From the beginning of time, before time ever existed, God chose to extend His love to me and you. He chose before man ever sinned in the very act of creation of saying, let there be light. God chose to send His Son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. He chose, and because he look, you can't give man a choice and then not know. Uh, God knew that man would choose to fall away from uh, from him, his presence in sin. He knew that that man would choose sin. And listen, that just goes to show you how much God loves us even more. That even before there existed uh, night and day, before there ever existed the tick on your Timex watch, before there was ever uh, a heartbeat of man, God chose to send His Son to die on the cross for our sins. Because He knew there was sin that was going to enter into the world as soon as He created man. He knew that there would be a day in which His Son would die on the cross and have the burden of the, of the sins of the world upon Him. And He chose that because He loved us. He, he predestined. He made the choice to select and choose us. Now, does that mean that all, everybody is saved without needing to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? No, it doesn't. It means that He, extend, and he 
chose before time ever began to offer to mankind the opportunity to be saved. He chose man to be saved, chose to to offer that choice of salvation. That's the message of predestination. That doesn't mean that everybody is is saved, that's going to be saved regardless of what we do. No, uh, Jesus would have never told us to go and make disciples. He would have never said to go and to reach people and and to baptize them and, and and uh, He would have never told us to go and be fishers of men. Instead, it means that we've all been given the opportunity. And God's desire, God's perfect will is, is that all mankind would know the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is that He gives us a free will and allows us to make that choice. But God tells us here through the words in 1 Peter that not only are we chosen out of that darkness, but we've been chosen to be a royal priesthood. That He has allowed us not only to come out of the darkness, but He's allowed us to enter into the the family line of Jesus Christ. That we've been chosen to be a part of the royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. Why are we peculiar? Why are we holy? Why are we set apart? Why? Because we have the love of Jesus Christ in our life. Because we have uh, the saving... Uh, salvation uh, that Jesus Christ afforded, the saving grace of His blood poured out for us on the cross of Calvary. We're a peculiar people that we should show forth the praise of God, that we should allow others to hear the praises. We've been selected to be a royal priesthood to praise God, folks. We're not just simply being given uh, a... Listen, I, I understand that some of you feel like you're a part of, uh, you're just a side of beef that's been given the USDA seal of approval, that you're a, a, a grade A choice, but that's not how salvation works. You've not been just stamped so that you can be proven to have uh, uh, the approval of God in your life. He says you've been chosen, selected to praise God and to, uh, and to exalt the name of Jesus Christ to the nations, that you have been uh, chosen to show forth the praises of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Folks, we've been called to share the love of Jesus Christ in this dark and dying world, to shine the light of Jesus Christ. And what better way to, uh, uh, what better reason to be selected than to, to issue forth the praises of Jesus Christ? And yet, so many of us sit in our pews like uh, uh, a jar of prunes, you know, like we've been dick, dipped in pickle juice, and we don't want to say anything to anybody, and we just want to come and listen to our uh, take. Look, some of you are masochists. You know, you come and you and you have the Holy Spirit whip you over the back uh, as you're sitting in the pews, and then all you do is go on home and and don't breathe a word to anybody else of what the Spirit of God has laid on your heart. That's not what God wants from you. He wants you to hear the message that He has for you and He wants you to go out and share it with everybody else. You're here not as a a punishment. This is a filling station. You've come in. Look, some of you are NASCAR fans. What do they do when they go around and around in NASCAR? They go around and around. What uh, What else do they do? Well, they go around and around. And what else do they do? Well, they keep going around and around, right? They go around sometimes 600 times, right? Well, do they start uh, at the beginning and keep going until the end of the, of the race? No. 
Okay, I, I don't I don't follow NASCAR. I don't know. No, they have to go in what's called what that 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 pit row, right? They go in there and they get new tires. They get uh, uh, gasoline. They have the windshield wiped off and uh, by the the shell station guys and all that kind of stuff. And 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 they have, uh, sometimes they get a whole new driver, don't they? And they they and then and then that that race car just goes racing out back on the on the track right um why because they need to finish the race that's why yeah they don't come into the pit and just take a nap and and sip a mint julep and and watch everybody else go by no their desire is to get out on the track again well that's what the this is pit row you've come in here to get fueled up you've come in here to get uh, uh renewed in the spirit you've come in here to get new tires and and you need to get out there as quick as you can and share with everybody else the love of jesus christ get out there and, and get back in the race get back in the in the in the in the task of sharing jesus christ with everybody else this is not the destination this is the stop to help you get out there and go out there and, and do what christ has told you to do and so that's what uh, that, that's what we're being told here that we're we're called to be not just set aside. You're not a jar of preserves. You haven't been called so you can be set up on a shelf and be preserved. You've been called to show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look, you are people who have obtained the grace and the mercy of, of Christ. You are people who have obtained uh, the wonder. You, look, he says, at one time you weren't a people. You were just simply people wandering in darkness. You were at one time people that were not people of God, but now you are. You've obtained mercy. You have... Uh, 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 receive the grace of God. He says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Look, you don't live here. When you look, I, years ago, when I was in college, I had the opportunity to uh, go with my college choir to Europe to sing. And one of the things that was so special about that was, as I can remember, getting my first passport. And I had to get a passport for, our, for that trip. This was between my junior and senior year. And this was uh, about uh, 1988 or so. And uh, so I remember sending out the information to the government and getting my passport in the mail and I thought it was just so wonderful to have a passport it showed that I was a citizen of the United States and uh, one of the things I had to get was a visa in order to get into the uh, uh, into to France because that was part of our trip and I had to give them all kinds of information about where we were going to stay and what we were doing and all that kind of thing and we went uh, as I say we went to several different countries but when I got that passport and we got over there to Europe I, I, I realized real quick that I was just visiting I didn't go over there thinking I was going to live in Europe 
Now, there was at one point that I got lost in Paris, okay? And there was a time when I thought that I was going to have to be a citizen of Paris for a while until I could earn enough money to get a ride back home. Uh, but fortunately, the Lord opened the door for me to be found by my group. Uh, I was with a group that said, if you're not at, at such and such a place at a certain time, we're leaving. It's up to you to, to find out where we are and catch up with us. So uh, I had missed the place where we were supposed to meet. And uh, I was not there when the bus... Look, I didn't even know where it was all along. I'd, I had no clue where the... We were at the Eiffel Tower and there was a bunch of places for people to park buses. And it, the bus didn't have a big sign on the side of it of our name, of our group, or our college name. or It was, it was in... It was in some language I didn't know. It wasn't French. I took French in high school and college. It wasn't. I guarantee you, it wasn't French. It, and it wasn't wasn't English for sure. And so I couldn't even tell you what was on the side of our bus, let alone uh, uh, where it was, because as you could guess, there was a lot of places for buses to park in that area. And I was supposed to magically find where the guy was going to park. When he dropped us off and he said, oh, no, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be in the, in, in the parking lot. So I had no clue. I never found out where they parked that thing. And I never went to where it was because I didn't know. So I was sitting there I, and the time had passed. We were supposed to be at the bus at a certain time. And I knew standing at the Eiffel Tower, I, I was not going to make it because I had I, I'd given myself an hour to try and find where it was. And I, could, I even went up to a police officer. And the police officer was one of these uh, French policemen, and, and I went up to him and I started speaking to him in French. And now I had taken sign language after French, so I, it, I was fluent in French when I took French, but by the time I got to... France, I, I was, and they say you know, you know you're good in a language when you start thinking in in that language. That's the that's the key to really getting good in a language is start thinking in that language. So what was happening to me there was I was thinking in sign language before I th- then converted into French, and that was too slow. That was just way too slow. And the guy said, he, he realized that I was an American. How did he know I was a tourist? I don't know. Maybe it was because we were underneath the Eiffel Tower. But uh, he pointed to a patch on his shoulder and it said English. And he was so proud of the fact that he had a patch that said English on the side. And I said, oh, thank goodness you speak English. And, and so I started to ask him, where's the bus? Where's the place for the buses to park? He said, no, 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 no. He said, hello, how are you? I'm fine. Now, just because you have a patch that says English doesn't mean you can speak English. I was in a hurry because I was trying to find that bus. And the more time it took, the more I thought I was going to be learning a whole lot more French than I knew even in my intensive oral French class that I took because I thought more and more that I'm never going to make it. And sure enough, that guy wasted my time and I missed the time for the bus to leave. So I remembered the, uh, the fact that the U.S. Embassy was on the Champs-Élysées 
Now I remember, and the Champs-Élysées is easy enough to find. You just look for the, the Arc de Triomphe and you will find the Champs-Élysées. It's part of, it's there on the Champs-Élysées. So I made my way over towards the uh, Champs-Élysées and I'm walking up and down the road trying to find the American Embassy and around the corner comes a bus and there's a guy with a big orange hat on that was none other than a Clemson University hat. And they were all looking out the windows looking for me. And when they spotted, I spotted them and they spotted me in the bus stop. And that, that thus ended my uh, living time in France. I was glad not to live in France. But just because I got a passport didn't mean that I became a citizen of France. That visa only allowed me to stay for a short period of time. And we, when we became... Uh, children of God, this became just a place we're passing through. This became just a place that we're just visiting. In First Peter it says, we're strangers, we're pilgrims. Why? Because we're on our way to be in the presence of God. We're on our way to be with uh, God in heaven. We're no longer citizens of the world, we're citizens of heaven. He says, have your conversation honest among the Gentiles that you might point out these things. Look, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they make by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. He says, look, we're in the world for a reason. We're here not because we're stuck like I was in France. We're not here because... Uh, we're not still here because uh, it's a nice place to visit. We're here in order to influence the world. We need to be people who influence others about the message of Jesus Christ, to tell others about uh, the love of God, to help others to see God's grace and how they can apply it to their life. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. He says, look, we have to be people who obey the law. We can't simply disobey the laws like Roe v. Wade simply because we don't agree with it. What we, have, what we need to do is be people in the world that influence others so that there's... Look, even if there is... Uh, we need to be the type of people that help people to understand how evil uh, abortion is so that even if there is a law that legalizes it, that will be such an influence on others that nobody will want it. And so few will want it that they'll just give up. We need to be people who influence our world, who are salt and light to a lost and dying world. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. We need to put to silence the ignorance of the people of this world. To put to silence the ignorance of those things that they think are right and tell them of the righteousness of God. We need to profess to them the love of Jesus Christ. We need to share with them the message of God's love. But we can't, we can't be silent any longer. We can't continue on and not profess the love of Christ. We need to fear God more than we fear man. We need to share His message to this world. Today, we need to stand. We need to have the message of Christ 
coursing through our body. We need to be Christians more than just... Look, there are so many people who call themselves a Christian that act as if this is some civic club. We're not here to sell onions or Boston butts. We're not here to simply send money to somebody ever so often. We're here to impact the world. We're here to boost our engines, to refuel so that we can go out and influence the world. We're here not because this is a cool place to come and and yuck it up with one another and and then go out and forget about the fact that we're Christian. We're we're Christian. We need to be Christians all the time. We need to shine the light of Christ and His love in our world all the time. Just simply coming to church is not our Christian duty. Our Christian duty lies outside these four walls. We're missionaries in this world. We're not citizens of this place. We're citizens of heaven. And we need to tell others about how they can get into a right relationship with God so they can become citizens too. So that we can be an influence into a dark world. So they can see the light of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.